You're listening to Radically Pragmatic, a podcast from the Progressive Policy Institute. We talk with lawmakers, policy experts, and thought leaders about the issues driving the news nationally and internationally. The Progressive Policy Institute is a catalyst for policy innovation and political reform with offices in Washington, D.C. and Brussels. Its mission is to create radically pragmatic ideas for moving America beyond ideological and partisan deadlock. We encourage analytical conversations, not your typical partisan talking points. Hello, and thank you for joining us for this episode of the Radically Pragmatic Podcast from the Progressive Policy Institute in Washington, D.C. Today, we're talking education. My name is Tressa Pankovitz. I am the co-director of the Reinventing America's Schools Project at PPI, and I am thrilled to have a guest with me today, Senator Mark Mullet, who represents Washington State's fifth Senate district, a position that he's had since 2013. Senator Mullet is here today to talk about charter school funding and a bill that he has sponsored, Senate Bill 5807, which is designed to close the funding gap experienced by public charter schools. Before we get into the particulars of that bill, um, we wanna make sure everybody's up to speed on charter schools. So charter schools are public schools that are free and open to all in places where there is more demand than there are seats, frequently um, schools will use a lottery to determine enrollment and um, many places around the country have very long charter school waiting lists. Washington became the 42nd state to pass a charter school law in 2012. That law was immediately challenged and it ultimately took two lawsuits and two trips to the Supreme Court for charter schools to be declared yes, indeed constitutional in the state of Washington. But even since then, um, it's been a rather rocky road for charter schools in Washington. There are only 18 schools now, but they do serve more than 5,000 students. They're primarily located in and around urban centers like Seattle, Spokane, and Tacoma. They serve six times the number of Black students as the overall Washington State K-12 through system does. They have at least as many students as living in poverty, and in some places, many more than traditional district schools. And they also have double the number of teachers of color as traditional schools. Yet a recent and very significant study from the Center for Research and Education Outcomes at Stanford University found that charter schools perform on par with their peers, and three out of nine charter schools performs significantly better with no achievement gap. Those are amazing outcomes um, in schools that operate with about 75 cents on the dollar compared to the funds allotted to traditional schools in Washington state. Okay, Senator, your turn. Before we get to the bill, you were not always a fan of charter schools, um, but I read somewhere a little story about what changed your mind. Can you start with that? Well, I would say that I've never been against charter schools. I just don't think when I ran for office in 2012, I didn't run as being a charter school champion, but after I got elected in 2012, I did go visit charter schools as they started opening in our state. And I did support the initiative in 2012. So the there was a public initiative in our state to authorize charter schools because they couldn't do it through the legislature for the teachers union to kind of block the bill in the legislature. But the voters approved it. When the schools opened, I went to the schools and I was pleasantly surprised by what I encountered. I saw a lot of low-income families of color who felt they had found a school that was working for their kids. And, and then as time went on, I saw the outcomes the schools were producing. And then I think 
and kind of became the charter school champion of the Democratic Caucus in the Senate as a result of that experience of interacting with these families and and seeing the positive outcomes that, that were being achieved. You uh, you saw a lot of uh, engagement when you were on the campus. Is that right? Yeah, I talked to I talked to the parents. I talked to the kids. I talked to the teachers who worked at the school, to the administrators at the school, and and there was a lot of passion there. And I grew up in Tukwila, which is kind of the town next to the airport in Seattle, and very diverse community and. I always say there was a lot of students of color at my school, but there wasn't a lot of teachers of color. And so I think where charter schools are really moving the needle is they've done an excellent job of getting teachers of color in, in the front of the classroom. And I think that's why these kids a lot of times are having better connections. And, and to me, it's commendable. I think it's, it's kind of a sad hypocrisy, I think, on the Democratic side here that we say these are the people we really care about, these low-income families of color, we're trying to do everything we can to lift them up. And it's unfortunate that, you know, I think people are still choosing the, the teachers union over these families when push comes to shove. And so this is why our battle continues to be fought here. Yeah, it really is extreme in Washington state, but um, sadly it's, it's evident everywhere that we study in the country. Um, you know, one place that's, that's really kind of depressing is Chicago. Chicago was a leader in the very early years of chartering when President Clinton was was in office, and he mentioned that in the State of the Union address. And now it's probably, you know, Illinois and Chicago in particular, probably the least uh, least friendly environment for charter schools, and it's definitely because of the teachers union. And why do you think it is that the teachers union has such a hold over this debate? Well, obviously, I think they view it as a threat. I think to their business model, which is obviously unionized teaching workforce with a lot of protections and a lack of kind of flexibility in terms of how things work, where it's a little bit more spelled out and prescriptive. And so I think they do feel like this is a threat. And and so, I mean, the the bill we had, this is the update on the bill, was the charter schools do get the same per pupil funding from the state, but the difference is every district basically has local levy dollars they can get. You know, that's roughly, you know, anywhere from two to three thousand dollars a student basically they can get in local levy dollars. And charter schools aren't eligible for it. That's one of the challenges of they can't get those dollars because the local levies go to the traditional public schools, obviously, that have the school boards associated with them. So this bill just basically says, you know, we're going to give them the base, the lower end of that funding range. They're not guaranteed the top end of the range, but we're just saying, because we actually have a policy in our state, like if you pass your local school bond, it only generates $1,000 per kid because you have low property values. The state actually comes in and fills that gap, right? They give you the extra $950 per kid because we want to have everyone have like a base level of funding. And right now in the state of Washington, that local levy base level is, you know, 1,950 bucks. Everybody gets it except for the public charter school kids. And, and that's what this bill was trying to solve. And when the update is it, it fell basically just short in Senate Ways and Means. The teachers union did publicly testify against the bill. Again, they testified against it in the policy committee. 
it came out, they testified against it in the Ways and Means Committee, and it fell short. And so our plan now is to put the one-time funding back in the budget, which we've done in calendar years 22 and 23. And, and so, but the problem is when you put things in the budget, you can only do it on a temporary basis, right? Like we need to pass the bill to provide reliability for these public charter schools to be able to plan on that funding being there, not having me have to go through all these hoops and, and fights just to get one year's worth of funding. But, but once the bill failed to advance out of the Ways and Means Committee, I immediately did secure a verbal commitment from the budget writers that we would do an additional one year of support for these schools at just so they're not completely going to zero. You know, I actually watched the hearing, not the Ways and uh, Means Committee hearing, but the hearing in the Education Committee. And I thought yeah. your testimony was very powerful um, when you talked about the tribal compact schools. And maybe you could tell our listeners, you know, because it, it just further demonstrates how inequitable this is. Well, yeah, because the tribal compact schools don't have access to the same levy equalization funding. And so back in 2019, we fixed it. Like in the bill in 2019 was to fix it for tribal compact schools and, you know, the, the charter schools, but the charter schools got cut out of that bill in the final hour, the final week of session. And it was really disappointing. And this bill would have simply aligned us back up again, the public charter schools with the tribal compact schools. And I thought it was a very fair solution. And we actually, in the bill, did something, I think it was a little creative, where whatever area your public charter school is in, that local district has to pass their levy for their traditional school levy for you to get the funding from the state. And so we are trying to kind of align interest where if you're a family where your kid goes to a public charter school in Seattle, you would then have an incentive to actually pass the local Seattle school levy for their traditional schools because your funding from the state would be tied to that local levy passing, if that makes sense. And, and so we are trying to kind of align the stars here. And we did that in the bill. I'm optimistic actually we'll get the bill to the finish line because every year, you know, I had six out of 14 Senate Democrats agree to support the bill this year. We needed seven out of 14 to bring it up for a vote. Uh, when I first started this process, I had two or three. And so every year I picked up an additional Democrat. I think I got it out of the policy committee for the first time ever this year, which I think was also a big deal. And so we're making progress, I think. And the only reason we're making progress is these families are literally coming to Olympia and they're testifying, the students are testifying. And I think people are having a hard time looking at these, these families and these students and saying, I'll just quit complaining like you get less money than everybody else. I think it's really, they're having a hard time, I think, denying them equal treatment. And so I'm optimistic we'll get there next year. But too many still do. And what are your conversations with them about something that is such obvious system, systematic inequity? Yeah, I highlight, I think that I just think it's hypocrisy. I think they say they care about these families, but at the end of the day, they they bow to the pressure of the teachers union on this topic. And I'm convinced that the teachers union hadn't come, if they had 
just been neutral on the bill. They didn't have to testify in support of the bill. That would have been really nice had they actually testified in support of the bill. But if they had just been Switzerland on the bill, I think it would have passed out of the Ways and Means Committee at this point. It would have had a floor vote on the Senate. Uh, but they publicly testified against the bill in both the policy committee and the budget committee. And that was really unfortunate. It was unfortunate. It was actually, it was shameful. As I said, I watched that, but I thought towards the end of the testimony there, you had a little bit of an exchange with the union representative that you indicated something was going to be fixed in the bill or amended. And she kind of nodded like she would acquiesce to becoming Switzerland if you fixed whatever it was in the bill that she wanted fixed. Did, did that happen? I fixed what they wanted fixed, and I was hoping they would be Switzerland in the Ways and Means Committee because I knew that was going to be a big fight, and uh, and they still testified against it. So, and and I'm not, I don't want to get into that specific individual. I think was actually very sympathetic, but at the same time, she has to do what she's told to do by people above her pay grade, right? So, I think. I'm also respectful of the fact that sometimes people are testifying on bills that might even be opposition to what their own personal beliefs are, but they're getting paid to represent a larger organization. And that larger organization of the Washington Education Association is still refusing to, to treat charter schools equally with the other public schools. Yeah, I had a conversation about the teachers union with a colleague once and, um, you know, he said Democrats just need to find new sources of funding for campaign fundings. Um, and I don't know if that's possible or where that what that looks like, but it is it is pretty obvious that the union's power comes from the political donations it makes. Well, and I think it's also I will say this in my, you know, I was attacked by the teachers union in my 2020 Senate re-election race, which I found a little ironic because my wife, my wife is a public school teacher. Right. All six of our kids go through public schools in the community where I live outside of Seattle. And so I think it does demonstrate this hypocrisy. Unless you're a rubber stamp for, for their stuff, they come after you. But I, I will say this is it's not just the money. It, it is the sense that when people send out you know, mailers or TV ads that say, you know, you don't support public schools and, you know, that's coming from the teachers union, like the average voter believes that. And so this is our ultimate challenge is they have credibility with the average voter because people love their teachers. I can tell you like on teacher appreciation day, my wife comes back and it's like Christmas. I mean, she's got like Starbucks gift cards and Chipotle gift cards. Like my kids love it because they're like, oh, mom, like what stuff do we get this week after? I mean, people genuinely love their teachers. And what I think the disconnect is really is the difference between the teachers union and the policies they're advocating for. I think teachers would be shocked, like the actual teachers in the classroom, if they knew that their union was out pre preventing these low-income families of color from being treated equally to the rest of the public school kids, I think they would be really embarrassed by those actions. So there is this disconnect between the actual teachers in the classroom and what union leadership is advocating for in Olympia. Well, that's why we exist, is to try to help further the public awareness of that. You know, obviously we're not local to Washington or to anywhere really, but we do 
do a lot of traveling and a lot of writing. And if there's, you know, any anything that we can ever do to help your cause and the cause of charter schools in Washington State, um, we're all in on that. So I hope I hope you won't be a stranger. So you think you've got the money in for for next year, the coming year? I do. I'm, I mean, the budget will come out on Sunday, and I have a verbal agreement. And uh, but. In my time down here, like I put a lot of weight on verbal agreements. And so I really do trust my colleagues when they say they're going to do something, they actually do it. And and so I do think it'll be in there, but we'll know for sure when the budgets come out on Sunday. Well, we'll, we'll be at. watching. And then I, I want to be respectful of your time here, but one last um, question for you. Uh, you're running for governor. Yes. Yes. And if you uh, are elected, um, where will there be anything in your executive authority that you would be able to do either on this funding issue or any other issue that would be, you know, positive? I'll tell you the answer is yes. Like I will not sign any education budget. I will not sign it unless the public charter schools finally get treated equally to the rest of the public schools. And so to me, this issue would get resolved instantly if you had a change of leadership. And but I think to your point, this is the ironic thing of this governor's race is, you know, I'm in a real battle with kind of the far left, you know, super liberal progressive, you know, other Democrat or current attorney general and the teachers union, I guarantee will endorse him because they didn't even invite me like they didn't let me do an endorsement interview basically <laughs> they only in, you know they interviewed him only and and i feel like you know he's he went to private school his kids are in private school and they're going to endorse you know a governor candidate who who went to private school and doesn't have his own kids in the public school system and my message to washington voters has been very simple like the public school system should be good enough for the governor's family and i think this will play a big role in this in this election, I think, coming up for the primary in August. And we have a top two primary. So I think our premise in Washington State is we tend to obviously lean Democratic, but we've had a lot of statewide races where the top two candidates are both Democrats. And I think, you know, that's a dynamic with Donald Trump on the ballot that I think we could actually see in Washington this year is two Democrats get out of the primary. And 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 I'm very comfortable you know, highlighting my support of these public charter schools because I do think they've done great things for low-income families of color in our state. And I really want to educate the voters in our state about what is happening. And and I promise they will get equal funding if I win this election. Well, that is an excellent promise. And uh, you would make history in your state. And I know there would be a lot of families and students and teachers that would be extremely grateful um, to your follow through on that commitment. So uh, we will be watching very closely. And uh, Senator Mullet, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Radically Pragmatic Podcast. To our listeners, you can find this on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts and uh, on our website as well. Thank you. I like so that. Radically pragmatic. I might have to start using that. That's you good. are more than welcome to start using that. We are, we are very center, pragmatic, get things done. And I think you're that type of person too. So hey, thank you very much. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Want to learn more about the Progressive Policy Institute? 
follow us on Twitter at PPI and on Facebook at Progressive Policy Institute, or go to our website at progressivepolicy.org. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen and check back for new episodes. We'll talk with you soon.